And it's these kinds of things are a lot easier in a town where you know nobody lives more than ten minutes away. I mean, everybody's mostly within five minutes. So there's a huge contextual difference. But we come together, um, and there are two main. Well, there's four elements, but two primary elements. One is prayer, um, and, and the second is training young men to preach. Those are the primary elements, and I'll, I'll tell you how that works out, that, that plays out. So we all eat together from 5.15 to 6, and so eating together would be the third element, but, um, which is we, just, we all eat together. We cater in usually a really nice meal. And, uh, and we eat, and to my, my kids, I never exposed them to sushi, but they, we, we have a sushi night once a month, and now one in particular, all he wants is sushi. Um, so we eat together, and then at 6 o'clock, we break, and the kids have a children's program that has evolved over the years from a team kid to children's choir. They have different things. That's the fourth element. It's the children's element. Um, so when we go into the service, uh, we have a, about a 20-minute sermon, and it's not JD or me. It's young men who are feeling out a call, maybe a gifting to, to preach and to teach. And so we have, a, we, we have a preaching planning meeting where we talk about preaching every week. So every Tuesday morning, there's about a dozen guys who get together. And the first thing we do is critique the Sunday sermon. So when we preach, we get critiqued. And then whoever's preaching next Sunday has to kind of defend their outline or what they're thinking about doing. And then we go to Wednesday, and we critique the last Wednesday sermon. And then whoever is preaching the coming Wednesday, the coming Wednesday, that person has to kind of defend their outline. And we've usually been working with them if they've not done it before for a few weeks. But that part's a lot like a preaching lab. And so the people who come on Wednesdays and, and sit through that, they they know they're not getting our A game, and they know that they're doing the church a service by giving us a platform to be able to give young men an opportunity to preach. And then the second half of that meeting is we just pray. We, uh, we, have, we have some things that the elders want us to pray through, but there's also a, a time where people can just you know, ask, can we pray for this? And, and we're not against praying for you know, somebody's aunt's broken ankle. I, I'm not above that. But primarily, we want to be praying for people's conversions and you know, he, healing, sustaining, that kind of thing. Um, and then sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll have designated people who pray for each, each thing. Sometimes we'll just break up into groups and pray, and then we're done by 7. You haven't seen me yet because I've been in teaching kids while you've been well, in Well, thank here. you very much. <laughs> so, with that said, I have... Are. Oh, I'm Peggy Hively, and I am, um, I, I have a heart for kids, and I'll cry. I'd like to know what your children's ministry looks like in the church that you're in now. And we came from a church where children's ministry was just chuck full, and we struggle here with doing some of those things. I've been the leader for VBS for the last two years, and I agreed to do it for two years, and then step aside but we have no VBS this year and I would love to know what you've done in children's ministry at your church thank you well when you say what have you done I'm largely by we I mean there's a, a there's a handful of volunteers who have really done a great job and then we do have a children's director and she's part-time probably coming on full-time soon um, all right, so there's, there's different – I'm going to start with the philosophy and then the regular things, Sunday and Wednesday, and then the calendar things like VBS. I'll kind of go in that direction. Philosophically, I mean I, I said a little bit of this earlier, but um, the church should be coming alongside parents to aid them in their calling to disciple their children. That's what we're trying to do. And so on Sunday morning, we have, we have one service, but like y'all, we have two hours. And so in the first hour, we have course seminars like your equipping hour. But we also have children's – that's when we do our children's stuff because uh, kindergarten – first grade and up, they're in the service the whole time uh, at our church. And so we have that hour where we're walk, going through the gospel project, um, which is walking through the Bible in three-year increments and repeating it at age-appropriate levels as they get older. Um, 
And it, I, don't know, I don't know how much I'm, I won't go into a lot about the Gospel Project, but it come, we believe it's a good aid to come alongside the parents. And we have some faithful parents who volunteer to teach that on a regular basis. Uh, then we go into the worship hour, and we have curriculum. I mean, let's be realistic. We're babysitting from birth to like three to four. Uh, there's a curriculum, but uh, you know the retention is obviously low at a young age. But then you have four to kindergarten. That they, they're really at an age where they can be retaining things. So we continue, We have a gospel project second hour for them on Wednesday nights. We have gone back and forth based on what the volunteer wanted to do, who, who oversees this, <clears throat> between Team Kid, which is um, kind of a poor man's Awana, <laughs> and, but, but I like it. My kids loved it. And now we do a children's choir, and they will have an Easter and a Christmas presentation. Um, so that's the Wednesday night component. Then on a, you know, every summer we have a, a VBS, a Vacation Bible School, where uh, we, I mean, most of you know what that's like. We Volunteers largely lead it. We're all the staff is there to help, uh, but you know the, it's fun for the kids. But it it really has become a a great way to get to know visitors or people who've never been to Grace before. It, it, it's really a, I don't I don't know Orlando as much as I know the Bible Belt. <clears throat> when I was here, we weren't really didn't have any kids, but um, there's a high value for that kind of thing in Oxford. And so it's been every VBS I can point to families that started coming to Grace. Because of their children coming to vacation Bible school and, and us getting really good time with them. Um, and then, so you get that youth goes, or so that children's ministry goes to sixth grade and youth kicks in at seven. And so once you hit seventh grade, you fall under our, our um, the leadership of our student pastor, and he has an intern named Skyler who's moving to Orlando to go to RTS. And they have a Sunday morning course seminar. So when all everybody else has their first hour stuff, there's a high school one, or you know, seventh through twelfth grade. And then Sunday night they have their um, their youth time. And so they do other intermittent things um, on the youth calendar trips and stuff. But uh, I don't even, I don't know what even what they all are. Does that answer your question? Dan Vaneda, um, you mentioned in the first hour the importance of having people close enough to you to be able to speak into your life, um, a war council, if you will. Uh, just for you personally, how much already is that war council already spread out over the globe, Italy and other places, and how much of it is, was it in Oxford, and how are you going to be handling that? Unpack that for us, if you would. That's a great question. Um, I like how you call it a war council. That's what it is. Um, I feel it seems like I've got somebody in every place we did life. I mean, I can think. To, I think about the PZ years, and I can I have a guy named Scott Ketro, and I can think about the Salerno years, and I've got Juddy Valaket, and I can think about the Starkville years, and I have Kevin Shoemaker, and then now that we've been in Oxford longer than we've been anyplace else, we're coming up on six years. I do have a group of guys there, and if history proves to be right, one or two will carry on to be, you know, there's also a guy named David Robbins from even before that. Um, if history proves, one or two of those will carry in, and and they, honestly, they could sustain me. They could, they could be an adequate war council, but if I relied on them, I wouldn't engage in a new place the way that I need to. So... My hope would be to continue to rely on them and that God would bring other men into my life and women into my wife's life. That would be that counsel. Good morning. Uh, thanks for doing this, by the way. Um, my name is uh, Joe Torres. So I wrote it down so I don't um, veer off. So uh, this church has and opened the past and currently been very blessed to have um, a number of um, lay leaders and um, teachers and so do you and if so what would be your vision in the future for the development leadership development for those who serve in this capacity i mean the primary and i'm not punting i really mean this the primary means is discipleship i mean so if if, if those of us here who 
are more mature are discipling those who are less mature, that is going to be happening. Now, I do think you can institutionalize this in some ways, and I'll talk about that, but I just don't want to minimize the role of organic discipleship in the church. Um, having said that, I, you know, there are, in our context, you have your equipping hour, we have our course seminar teachers, that, that is a way to platform people who, who we think have a walk with the Lord that, and, a, and a desire and a gifting to, to merit having a larger audience to teach to. We have small groups, community groups, um, which is another story I, I've been asked about a lot here, but um, Bible studies. We have Wednesday nights, as I said, where we're developing young men to teach. And then we're hopefully we're always kind of bringing – there are always a handful of men in our elders' meetings that we're raising up and training, and our elders' meetings are open. I mean, if we went in, if we had to deal with a, a, a membership issue, we would go into an executive session that would just be us. But uh, a lot of what we do, just praying for people and um, and thinking through how the king people are resourced and the kingdom moves forward, you know, we have a handful of guys around us at all times, um, and so that would be a real way of leadership development. There are. Yeah, I think it's important that there are, there are ways – there isn't a way to share your faith or a way to disciple somebody. But I'm big on giving somebody a way to, to be able to start to do it. If they want to do something else, fine. But I think we need to – it needs to be clear. If somebody comes to me and says, I want to learn how to share my faith and I want to disciple, that I've got a way that I know they can do it. It's reproducible. It's faithful. Um, and then, you know, the same going on, obviously, I'm talking a lot about men because that's who I work with, but the same with women outside of Sunday teaching. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I was thinking not so much in terms of what has been done at Grace, mm-hmm. but if you had, you had your brothers, of course, working with, them, with the team of elders here going over, how would you ever talk more conversation? Well, I mean, in principle, it would be the same. Now, I just have a lot – I would have a lot of learning to do here, just learning to understand how does the um, – how is the dynamic different here? And I've, I've – in some ways, your elders are more available because they, they don't have a bunch – largely a bunch of little kids like ours do. But in some ways, they're spread out more. You know, some are living in Oviedo, and how do, how do, those, how do those kind of things play out? Um, I think there's some ways that we as elders can lead and lead missionally in a way that can be observed and taught and caught. Um, but how that specifically plays out here, I just think I'd need time to understand this church better and the context of Orlando better. But I think principally I would be thinking the same way, discipleship. I'm Jan. Um, I'm wondering, I, I don't know if I might have missed a couple of questions, but I'm thinking about um, you and Angela speaking in um, for family life. I'm curious how that, um, how that can help you in ministry, if there are ways that you feel like that can help you in your ministry as a pastor. And I also, my second question is, what keeps you humble? Good questions. Well, you know, family life was something. Are y'all familiar with family life? Mm-hmm. It's a, some yes, some no. Okay, family life is a ministry. It's a subsidiary of Crew. Most people don't realize that, and they exist to bring to strengthen marriages through the gospel and to these are my words, not theirs, but um, and then to display the gospel through marriages. Marriages. It could be the the largest felt need in our life that, that we see our sin in our marriages in a way that, that it's just unique. It's profound. It's right there. It's it's continuous, and so family life exists to bring the gospel to bear to those marriages, to all marriages, Christian, non-Christian, and they they have a few different entities. Radio is something they've done a lot, <clears throat> a lot of. But what's most they they have a publication arm. But what most people know about are the conferences. They have about 80 conferences a year where between 400 and 1,200 people will come into these conferences. And it's a, it's a marriage conference. 
And so Angela and I were asked through a crazy set of circumstances to be some of those speakers in 2015. And, uh, and we, we had a lot of discerning to do. Are we gonna, this is a lot to take on. This is a whole other commitment on top of church and family and seminary. And we processed with our elders, and our elders had a lot to process. We would be giving Jim up even more. Is this something that we want to do? We're paying him. And, uh, and the church elders decided <clears throat> it's good for me to be developed in my ability to speak into marriage and for Angela to be developed in her ability to speak into marriage. And I cannot communicate strongly enough how much I've learned over the past two years in speaking at these conferences, both from the curriculum, that the 14 hours of talk content that I have had to develop. Uh, I don't give 14 hours, every, I'm just, I, have these t- I have 14 that I have to be able to give. Um, but then with these conferences, the thing that I like most is we're able to really get to know these people and talk to them and, and walk with them through some very, very heavy things. And often I get asked questions I don't know the answer to, but it forces me to go find the answer. And so Angela and I, I mean, I, I was getting my hair cut last week, and the lady who cuts my hair, she was married and has a child from that marriage, gained a stepchild from that marriage. That husband died. She's about to remarry a guy who has three children. So now you're talking about one biological children, a stepchild from a previous marriage, and three in a new one. And it, we, we've learned to speak to that. I, I, I'm, I've never experienced that, but, but by God's grace, that's one. I was just, it kind of hit me like, ah. I'm speaking to a, a blended family. I don't know. I mean, it's, it was really neat to be able to have been around blended families and been able to speak into it more. So, I mean, more and more, I think that marriages are one of the great opportunities for the gospel. I think people come to the end of their ropes, and it brings us to a point of humility that, that we'll consider anything. If it will help my marriage, I'll consider anything. And that's a sweet time to be able to bring the gospel to bear. So I'm really thankful to be able to do that. And then just, we get to be around the thought leaders in marriage. The Russell Moore helps out, Kevin DeYoung helps out, Paul Tripp helps out. People who are the real thought leaders in our nation and as as marriage and sexuality, obviously, that concept evolves. Not that it really evolves, but it evolves in our culture. It's very helpful to be around those people as they process how, how we respond to it. What humbles me? Well, my wife and kids who are faithful to say things how they are. And um, I mean, I see my shortcomings and my sins with all those who live really close to me. And so that's humbling. But you know, there's a, there is this other, I mean, like even today, like getting to preach the word to a church, you know, and getting, being considered as a candidate for a pastor. I mean, that's, that's humbling. I mean, they, I, if anybody knows how unworthy I am for that, it's me. And it's just God's grace. And so even just this morning, being able to teach and preach the word. So I have the kind of humility that comes from pointing out all my faults. And then the kind of humility that comes from God's grace lavished upon me in light of my faults. And both, both have a real humbling effect. Hi, Jim. I'm Kurt. Hey, Kurt. (laughs) Outline your study habits in sermon prep thumbnail and how will you guard your schedule to make sure you do the job you need to do in the study for what needs to happen on Sundays? Good question. So I... Uh, this, is, this, this piece of it I know is debated, but I will use my personal quiet times that, that week. I mean, I, I, I really want – it's not going to help you for me to preach a text to you that I'm not – that God's not using to work in my own heart. You're, you're going to get a more helpful sermon from me if God's convicting me and encouraging me from that text. So a big part of it is that I do spend time in the morning just reading and meditating and praying for what – God would have for me in that, and I'm not thinking about other people yet. And then I'll print out 
usually the, t the text and ESV, and just begin to kind of draw, highlight, circle, make observ observations. And my task is to figure out what's the main point. What's the main point, and then what does the passage say about that main point? And then that's usually two, three, four, like this morning, five things. But I want to make sure the main point is clear. And then I'll, then I'll start to read commentaries that, that talk about that and can help me understand it. And then lastly, and very intentionally lastly, other people's sermons. Because if I read other people's sermons first, that's all I'm going to be able to think about. And it would be very hard for me to develop my own outline, my own sermon. But I am really thankful when I have the time to go and see what Piper preached on something or Dr. Duncan preached on something or J.D. Shaw. Um, and th so then I'll, I'll have my outline. I'll write the sermon. But then a really important part of the process for me is rewriting because often the sermon is, is put together – a chunk here and a chunk on this morning and a chunk on this afternoon, but when I can sit down and rewrite it, then I really can catch the flow. Does this really flow? Is there a better way to say this? Is it really clear? Because when I rewrite it, I have clarity. I mean, faithfulness and clarity, but clarity is a huge, is it clear? And so then I have it, and then I do spend, on Sunday morning, I'll usually wake up about 4.30, and I, I do a lot I have a system that I go through to try and make try to really know it. I, I think it, it, it matters that you're getting it from the heart from me and not me reading it. Um, so that's a big Sunday morning piece of it. And then what am I? I mean, I, I put I, I put chunk. I mean, I schedule an appointment. <laughs> my, these are appointments in my schedule that I don't unless somebody dies or something urgent happens. I mean, I, I'm in an appointment. I'm I, I'm doing something that I have to protect because as, as my wife often tells me, you know, I can have this tendency to say yes to a lot of things. And she said, yeah, but when you say yes to those things, you're really saying, you're saying no to other things just by saying yes, and often that's us. And so I know the more I say yes to those things, I compromise that study time. My family is going to be the one that gets hit with that. Hello. Hello. I'm Demi Harvey. Um, so first of all, thank you for your ministry um, for families. Um, but how do you minister to single people? Great question. Great question. You know, it's one of... We as a church have been guilty of lifting up marriage and family as the penultimate goal of the Christian life. And it's not. It's, I mean, our marriages are going to end one day, all of us. You know, we're, we're going to have a new marriage that's much better in heaven. The Apostle Paul, I don't think, was mistaken when he said, I wish all could be like me. <laughs> and I get that. I mean, there's so much that a, that a single young man can do in a week that I can't do. And so there, there's something real to that. And, and you didn't ask this, but I think we've also contributed to some much of What's going right now in same-sex marriage? Because we've lifted up this ultimate goal of marriage, and they feel like they can't have it. And, and, and so I think the church has got to own some of what's going on right now in the redefinition of marriage. But with singles, I mean, you, you're, able to, you're able to be this person that Paul is saying, I wish we could all be like that. So I want to walk with singles and see, like, what are the things that you enjoy doing? How can we platform you? How are you able to learn and grow and invest and disciple and teach in ways that married people, especially with kids, are just limited? And so our challenge is when we look, when we look at people, and especially single people, just understanding what, what they're gifted to do, what they're called to do, and being able to equip them to do it. And, you know, that's going to... One of the great blessings, that's going to extend into the dark hours in a way that it's not for me. Those who know me best know I don't like to be called on the wrong side at 10 o'clock. <laughs> but I'm very thankful for the single people in the church. And very thankful for the single people who've come into our home and eat with us and help us with our kids and bless us in tremendous ways. And hope that we're a blessing to them too. Hi, Wendy Arborough. Um, I was wondering, um, I, I myself went through a long illness, and knowing your wife went through cancer, just I'm sure there's a long list of ways that's, that's impacted your family. Um, I was curious maybe of a couple of the 
bigger takeaways for y'all and also maybe some continuous ways that's still impacting your life? So I, I, if you go on my blog, I, I have seven, I think it was seven things that I really do detail this. We went through, um, we celebrated, it was 10 years of what we, we called Nomo Chemo Day. Nomo Chemo. And, uh, and, you know, there are, we learned a lot. We, we learned, ultimately, our hope is not here. Um, we learned how much we need other Christians. Um, we learned how to really desire to love each other better. Uh, the Lord was really gracious. We, I mean, we look, we have, we've had two really hard seasons, um, and, uh, and cancer was one of them. But cancer, God showed us a lot of his grace in it. I mean, we, we would never want to go back through it, but, but he really met us in sweet ways that, that we're, we're, we're different because of that now. Um, so Angela and I would say different things. I mean, I, as the spouse of the person afflicted, it, 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 it's it, often we can get ignored in it, <laughs> but it's a real. I mean, it, it, there's ways that I've had to trust God for her in a way that she hasn't had to trust God f- for me to stick around. Um, but it still comes up all the time. I mean, we she has her annual stuff and. Uh, without going too much into her history, she had something come up recently that for the average woman would not have been that big a deal. But because of her history, like we're, everybody's praying. And so we just have to worry about things now in a way that we didn't before. So it is ongoing. But another ongoing effect is just our, our ability, I think, and I hope, to walk with people through it a little better, more compassionately, more knowledgeably. I'm thankful for that. Chris Wallace, um, my question is, we've heard from both you and Angela the grief and the hard things about leaving Oxford, but what's the exciting things for both of you, and what encourages you about making a move to Orlando? Well, I'm excited to come home. I'm excited to be around my family. I'm excited to do more saltwater fishing. (laughs) My dad and brother have boats. That's exciting. Um, I'm excited to, well, I get to hunt in Mississippi, but I get to hunt here. My dad has a place that I'd get to do that and expose my kids to more than I do right now. Um, you know, I'm excited about my kids growing up around more cultures than they would be exposed to in Oxford, Mississippi. Um, I, I do think there's just more opportunities to do things and expose my children to things here in Orlando than there would be in Oxford, Mississippi. I've got to be careful about saying that. You know, but, you know the, all right, this is a safe place, right? <laughs> Oxford, how many people have been to Oxford? Is anybody, okay, really, all right. Okay, yeah, well, of course, yeah, y'all, y'all came to visit, yes. <laughs> Oxford is a neat little town. I've never been in another town like it. It's only 20,000 people, residents, but you have 21,000 students, and on any given weekend, 10 to 200,000 tourists. So it's this little town with this thriving Restaurants and retail. It's just, I don't know that you experience that. There might be a couple other little SEC towns that experience that, but it's very unique. And it's relatively wealthy in the middle of mass poverty. <laughs> just terrible, terrible poverty. And so there is this, and then you work in the idolatry of Ole Miss Rebels. And there's this feeling of Oxford is the place. Oxford is, they call it God's country. I mean, they, they love it in a way that when, you know, when everybody talks to us about, or the people who know talk to us about this possible transition, the main thing I always hear is, oh, I'm sorry you have to leave Oxford. I'm sorry. And I'm, you know, I kind of, I kind of want to push back a little bit and say, yeah, but we're, we're excited about where we might be going too. I mean, Oxford isn't the only place God is working, but I do love Oxford, but I am excited probably more than I get to communicate in my context to be able to come back home. And I, and I think the opportunity, the gospel opportunities are just a lot more significant to be able to, I mean, as y'all have almost as many people in this, in the greater Orlando area as we have in our whole state. <laughs> and your people, I, I heard a statistic. I don't know who this was from. You, maybe you can confirm that Orlando per capita 
is only is second only to New York City in number of nations represented for number of foreigners represented per capita. Something the international opportunity in Orlando is significant. And so not only are there opportunities for my family, I think there's opportunities for the gospel that just aren't the same in Mississippi. I'm Debbie Santora. Um, I was a little late, so forgive me if maybe you already answered this question, but I was just curious if you would maybe dream with us for a minute about what you would see for our children and your children as far as things to support the parents and teaching and training them. What kind of things would you like to see happen here that you might want to do here? I love... I, I, so I did say this before. The goal of the church is to come alongside the parents. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to come alongside the parents. And I, you know, I, what I've been so blessed by are people in the church who have come along into our children's lives. I think especially my 10-year-old now because he's getting experience. Even the, the, the student pastor, you know, is being able to invest in him, even though that's outside of what he's been called to do age-wise. But... Um, I want my kids to grow up in a community where they see people praying. They see the parents involved, not outsourcing their children to these programs. But they see these opportunities, whether it's a Sunday morning study, whether it's a children's choir, whether it's learning about missionaries, hearing from missionaries, teaching them history in the Bible, whatever it is, learning the catechism. I want them to grow up thinking that's normal. I want them to grow up thinking it's normal for mom and daddy to have people in their home and pray together. It's normal for us to have missionaries living with us when they're back from overseas. It's normal um, to be reciting some catechism in our home. And I want them, the more they begin to step outside of the safety of our house and our church and our school, honestly, um, they're going to be able to see how abnormal the world is. And I don't want them to grow up and think the world's normal and what we do is weird. I want them to really feel in their hearts that what we're doing is normal in the way that it's supposed to be made. It's made to be done. And what's going on outside of the church is what's abnormal. And so, I I mean, very practically, I mean, I think context and people change things drastically from place to place. Uh, It changes based on where people live, uh, what the church is currently doing. Who the volunteers are that serve, who can serve and doesn't, where do we just not have the people right now? And so some of it's a puzzle, trying to put it together. And I obviously don't know the, the, the super, you know, 1,000 level foot answer to how that will play out here. But I am really thankful for the way that it, I see it playing out in my church and my children being able to connect with children of other families. And we're able to reinforce the same types of things together. And so having four little children, that's something I would be deeply invested in and trying to see here. Does that answer your question? Mostly? Is there a place you'd want me to elaborate? What do your kids do now? What is going on in your church that your children are involved in that help them? Yeah. So Sunday morning gospel project, first hour. Uh, that's our curriculum that we go through and comes alongside the parents. We get... We get some, there's some take-homes that help the parents continue to engage with their kids. They come into worship second hour up until first grade. So kindergarten and younger, they have gospel projects second hour. We have a Wednesday night children's choir. We have VBS. Uh, That's all for the younger kids. And then seventh through 12th grade, we have youth. And they'll have a youth course seminar first hour. They have youth coming together Sunday night. And then they'll have youth events during the course of the year. Jim, you know, um, we have a long tradition of relationship with RTS, your RTS alum. Um, as we've gotten closer to this, to the end of this process uh, before the vote, uh, have you put any thoughts about how you would want to make those connections with OGC and RTS? 
Well, you don't spend a decade at RTS without making some real friends over there. Um, well, I guess the first thing I want to say is there's no more strategic person than the people who are the members of the church. So I do have dreams, but I, I, I don't want it to be lost that the most strategic people are the ones here on Sunday. Um, and so when I, even when I think of the relationship with RTS, and we've got the head of admissions here, um, I, I, I primarily think of who are the people here connected with RTS? Who are the students at RTS? Who is the, the admission? How do I really resource them to be the main conduit there? Now, would I, would I enjoy going and speaking at a chapel? Yes. Would I enjoy getting to know the students? Yes. Would I enjoy... Uh, seeing more Baptist students remain Baptist, yes. And I, I would do some things to make that happen. But, um, you know, the, the, the primary, the most strategic people are the ones who are already here. I am really excited that um, there are two young men from my church who, regardless of me coming, are coming to RTS. Regardless of me coming here, they will go to OGC. And should the Lord see this through and I come here... It would be a very fun and strategic way to continue the relationship. And then I, I really enjoy my professors, and um, I, I still maintain a friendship with them, and that would be a natural thing that I hope to continue with Dr. Swain and Dr. Allen specifically. And Glodo. I can't forget Glodo. Morning, Jim. I'm Ross. Hey, Ross. We've talked a lot about outreach, international missions, and missions throughout Orlando, but we're ensconced in the middle of lots and lots of uh, old, established neighborhoods. Yeah. And I think we've tried a few things. We do some outreach here. We've reached out to local school. Uh, we try to be good neighbors to our Catholic friends across the street. Um, so there are a variety of things we've done. But it feels like, I mean, there's a lot more than we can certainly do to reach out to those who are just so close. And particularly in light of the fact that OGC has traditionally drawn people from all four corners of our, our community here. Any thoughts, anything that you guys are doing in Oxford or any thoughts about what we can do close by to reach out yeah. to these folks. Well, and a I, lot of needs as well. And I, um, I know you didn't intend this, but I just want to make sure that I, I want us to see the mission here as a crucial and key component for the mission there. So it's not, it's not like we're choosing overseas versus here. When we, when we, when we invest here, we raise up more laborers that are able to resource and pray and go. So it's all. And again, I know you're not saying it's either or, but I, I want it to be clear that it, to me that's a part of the mission is that the people here. Yeah, our culture is changing in a lot of ways that are requiring relationships more than the programs that used to really work to reach out. And so I've used the illustration before of a football field. In the, in the 20th century, when the fruit was lower hanging, you know, we would – we would pick up that football and we could be the person to punch it in the end zone and someone's converted. Um, and and those footballs typically in the United States in the 20th century, they were closer to the end zone than they are now. And so we, if we go about every evangelistic opportunity intending to get all the way to the end zone, um, we may be disappointed. And, and we may actually not be fruitful in the way that we go about these relationships because they're going to quickly feel more like a project than they will a true relationship. So I think we have to be very skilled in our ability to get to know people and love them. And the, I think I said this last time. All we're doing at the end of the day in evangelism is making an introduction. God, our lost friend. And the more we know both parties in an introduction, the more natural the introduction is. And we stay in their lives and we get to – everybody's going to hurt. <laughs> and we get to be around during those kind of seasons and pray for them and be around and, and speak truth to them when, uh, when they're able to hear it. Those are the kind of things that I think are going to have the greatest impact. And so you asked what are we doing, and, and I'll answer that, but I don't want to assume that what 
what we're doing in Oxford is always the, the best thing here. Um, I mentioned in the first hour, one of our elders had this regular Taco Tuesday in his neighborhood, and he's had a lot of success with that. So in, in our neighborhood, I don't know how many, maybe there's 100 homes in our neighborhood, and uh, maybe less, maybe 75, but the Christians in our neighborhood, and not limited to Grace Bible Church, there's some people from the PCA church, we've come together, and what do we call it, um, Second Sunday Supper. So second Sunday of every month, somebody hosts a supper, and we, we try to invite our unbelieving friends, and we just started this. So we, we've, had some, we've had some unbelievers, people who don't go to any church or at the very least not a Bible-believing church. They'll come in, and then we have a, a Facebook, a closed Facebook group for our neighborhood. I think most, you're, you're, most neighborhoods where we are, everybody has a closed Facebook group. And we'll go on and we'll say, hey, it was so much fun. And then these people who aren't connected to us spiritually are going on, that was so much fun. Y'all should all join us next time. And so it started to pick up some steam in a way that we can get to know our neighbors. And then we have this one neighbor. She, she's the best neighbor ever. She's my wife's best friend. And so she'll go to Walmart. And when she's at Walmart, she'll text. Sometimes it's us. Sometimes it's the people we're trying to reach. Hey, I'm at Walmart. Do you need anything? I'd love to bring something by. Which sounds like such a small thing, but when you get that text and you're putting kids down and you realize you don't have stuff for lunch the next morning, I mean, that's, that is a godsend. And so then she's able to get in their homes, to get to know them, and we begin to build that kind of trust. So everything I've been saying right now is relationally, relationally, building the relationships. But there clearly has to be a proclamation side of this. We, we have something to proclaim. And so I, uh, I have ways that I go about that, that I go about. When someone is more interested, I'll invite them into um, – usually I'll have a six-week – I'll say, hey, what if you, know, you and I and a couple other guys get together for six weeks and we go – I have something I go through called First Things – a friend of mine published it, but it's it's just it's a real simple discipleship tool, and you do a little bit beforehand. You come together and you talk about it, and it's for a set period of time, six weeks. And so, the way it's worked for me is is that men have seen this, and then as the Holy Spirit works, they'll go and do something like that with their friends. Um, but we have to develop the relationship, I think, increasingly in this culture, so that there'll be an opening to be able to proclaim. Mm -hmm. Does that answer your question? I think thinking practically how to reach out to these folks. What can we do in the way of a ministry? I know some churches do Saturday morning mechanics for single mothers and things like that. Honestly, that's where I would come in and ask (laughs) y'all. You know this area a lot better than I do. I would love to do stuff like that, but I have no idea what you know what's going on here, and I would love. I'll just need to learn a lot, and then all people like you to do that. See you, Kellers. Juan, did you have a question? So reluctant over there. <laughs> My name's Lon. Uh, when Chuck came up, he reminded me I had a question about senior citizens. I just I did want to ask you though. What what? <laughs> I did want to ask you though. Um, Different world here in this church, different demographic than what you're used to either in your missions work or at the church. What do you ponder when you think about ministering to older people? Um, If you come here and you're here very long, you will probably bury a bunch of us. (laughs) Not as a result of anything that you personally (laughs) No. But just we we, only sometimes. (laughs) So, how do you perceive that role? Something a little bit maybe different than what you've done before. That is a great question. When hey, just wanted he's met a lot of Santors before, so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know the the committee that came up to Oxford. We were eating together, and and they were. Remember how you communicated the question, but it was something like, "Where where do you feel like you're?" Your ministry is deficient. 
and, and I said as a whole in Grace Bible Church, I think we, uh, we've only had two funerals in my six years there. And um, one was a suicide and one was just an unusual, unusual health issue that caused somebody to die earlier than they should have. Uh, and I, I think that's a real deficiency when we're not able as a church to see people finish the race strong. That we're hindered. It's, a, it's sad, but it's a blessing to be able to see people finish the mission strong. And, you know, that's Grace Bible. Me, personally, I've only ever done two funerals in my life. I've done, I've done 100 weddings, but only two funerals. So I think your assessment is accurate that this is something that I, I'm not coming into this church with a whole lot of experience. Having said that, it's not as if we don't have any older people in our church. And, uh, and I have a, a friend who says, you know, there's, there's nothing more frustrating in church, this is a pastor, than an old person who doesn't love Jesus. <laughs> but there's nothing sweeter in a church than an old person who loves Jesus. And so I would like to be around more people like that, <laughs> more old people who love Jesus. And, and I would like to have – there's a, a handful that I, I'm having lunch with one on Wednesday. I have a re- semi-regular huddle house breakfast with another one. And, uh, and it is a real blessing. I probably benefit more from those meetings than they do. But I understand there's some, you know, they experience unique hurts that I don't get yet. Watching grown children make bad decisions, watching grandchildren uh, go astray and health problems. They just, they, they bear burdens that I don't, I don't fully get. But I've loved walking with them and visiting them. There's a man who's dying of ALS right now. Um, in my church and been trying to do whatever we can to pray for him, to serve him, to go kill wasps for them or whatever we need to do, um, visit him and pray. And it, it's a unique ministry at the end of life that I have some growing to do in, but there's a tremendous blessing in doing that ministry that I look forward to. Can you define old? I will not define old. But he knows it when he sees it. (laughs) I think I'm the oldest woman in the church now. She was like, I'm December 28th, I will be 70. And she was turning 70 on the 15th of December. looking to come in and make a lot of changes and you're desiring time to get to know the heart of the church and what's going on where. Um, I was curious if there are any areas or any things that you're going to come in and say, you know, this is just something that's really on my heart. And it's okay if the answer is nothing, but I was just curious if there's anything like that. I have thoughts. But I really think I have Learning to do, I, I just I feel like there's such a there's so much relational ground to be gained in this context. I, and when I say I have thoughts, there are things that I come in and I'm just like, okay, you do that differently. I I I I, I want to understand it a little more, and and I've communicated some of those things to the elders, um, but before I really know, I mean, there's nothing, I, I you know, there's you're not, I don't know, marrying. Men and you know women and women. I mean, there's nothing like blatant that's going on that I was like, this would have to change. There's just some things like, okay, this is different. We want to continue to process this and understand where you are more. Um, and if you don't mind, I don't think it's really helpful for me yet to say those things. Um, but if you have those things, please. I mean, if, if this happens, I would want to hear from you if you have some of those thoughts. Thank you. 
Jim, do you aspire to a terminal degree or any further theological or education of a formal basis? Two, how long do you see yourself here, Lord Willing? And three, if you make it to 10 years, again, if you're confirmed, can you fill in the blank? I dream that we would look like blank. Those are fun questions. Um, first one, the degree. I aspire in this season to be a good husband and a good dad. <laughs> I, I think one day I'd enjoy something like a demon at RTS or something that would qualify me maybe at, at, you know, in the retirement years to be able to teach preaching or something, but not until my kids are gone. You know, I mean, in this season, I just want, I don't care about being a doctor, you know, and I, I just, I, I don't care about a PhD. I don't feel a calling to that. Um, but I could imagine a scenario where a demon would be something that would really be a good steward in the later years of the things that, Lord willing, if I make it the distance, that it could be a good way for me to stay engaged. But that wouldn't be for a long time. Um, secondly was, do I see myself here? How long? Somebody else asked me this, and they, they were a little more blunt in the way they, they asked it. And they said, do you see this as a stepping stone or do you see this as a place you'll be for a long time? And, and I appreciate the, the bluntness of the way that was asked. I really don't want to move my family again. <laughs> I mean, I think there's one, I, I mean, if not, I want, I have this deep desire for a stability that we have not known. And to me, this church in this city has all the makings for a long, fruitful ministry. I think there's more work to be done here than I could do in 10 lifetimes. So, I mean, I, I really do have this deep hope that this could be it, Lord willing, um, I've heard, I don't even know who said it at this point. I've heard so many pastors say it. It's easy to overestimate what God might do in five years and underestimate what he might do in 10 or 20. And, and you know, as, the, as you, every year you stay in one place, your ability to minister there through knowledge and experience and trust and relational equity grows exponentially. And so I, I believe that and I realize it. And so I, I think it would be fun to stay in one place the rest of my life and and this would be the kind of place I could imagine myself. I grew up here. My mom grew up here. My grandparents lived here for a long time. Um, this, I really could imagine it. Can I promise that? No. I mean, I don't, I don't know what God would have, but this has all the makings to me of that. And then thirdly, what do I get excited about? What do I imagine down the road here? I, I think I said this the first time Angela and I were here. But there, there are a handful of churches that I, I would point at and say, I like what they're doing. And, and the common, they're, they're different denominations, different networks, but the con common denominator is that they have built a critical mass. Okay, So I'm not anti-larger church. I, I think you get to a point where you, you build a critical mass in terms of human experience, ability, and resources – money would be another one of those – where you're able to begin planting churches more quickly and more efficiently because you know how to do it. You've gained a reputation to do it, and then young men are coming to this church because that's, they, they know that's what we do. That would be my vision. And so, I mean, I, I don't care about a mega church by any means, by any means, but I, I have an idea of what I've seen that critical mass look like at other churches. Um, and then, then comes the fun work of continually sending out your best resources to be able to plant all over this city in very different contexts in South Florida. Um, really lost places like Tallahassee. Uh, I'm from uh, well Gainesville. I don't even know. So that that would be fun. I mean that that's why I don't see myself getting bored. I mean people in my life know that I want new challenges. I like change, but being a part of a church that's planting churches, I, I mean I can't imagine ever getting bored. I can't imagine. Well, I think you answered part of my question, really, because it uh, I don't think they actually need another church in Tallahassee. I think almost everybody's Christians. There you go. That's a good point. But I do think Gainesville might be something you could say. Wow. Uh, we have... Uh, 
haven't maxed out this facility by any means. And we do have a little bit of expansion room, but we're basically, we are what you see. And, uh, and so when you, we get to the place where if the numbers would increase where we can't fit everyone in the sanctuary for a single service, have you, what are your thoughts about having more than one service on Sunday or uh, expansion or I, I think church growth, or, or I mean church uh, planting is your preferred solution for church growth is what you said. But yes. Any other but thoughts on multiple services? Yeah. So it's, it's not as simple as that because let's say – I'm just going to create these hypothetical scenarios, but well, I can tell you out of our, I remember we had, we could fit 350 people in our auditorium before we moved into the middle school. And we went to three services in one service. We had a hundred, well, no, we went to two services at that point. And in one service, we had 128 people who couldn't get in. And so we had this, we had, we need seats. So that, that's the main thing. I'm not, so then we're, we're, we know what's ideal. Ideal is we have one big room and we're all together. But at the moment, we, we didn't have one big room, and we didn't know. So we had to go to three services, move to the middle school, go to two services, just to be able to accommodate the seats. So then the question is, well, when are we ready to plant a church? Because at this point in Grace Bible, well, Grace is unique because we have one Walmart, one school district. It's not like people are traveling from Oviedo or South Orlando, so that's a different dynamic. But let's say – you know, in in one year, there are 300 additional people here, but they're guests. They're not members. They're not disciples. I mean, you know, like numbers don't mean these people are ready to go and 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 disciple. And, and in many ways, fast growth works against you in this. Slow growth is ideal because you invest in people, you you know them, and and you can as you grow, send out, grow, send out. We just don't always control the growth. We don't know if it's going to be slow, if it's going to be fast. It just God does things when he wants to do things. So what I'm saying is I, I prefer one service, but if all of a sudden we were maxed out, I'm willing to do two. If that's what it takes that more people can come and worship in here and in, in here. I don't aspire. I mean I know people in, in, a, in a city this large – what you historically see is that there's, again, a critical mass when all of a sudden the word's out and growth goes from slow to fast. You see it a lot. You don't know how much you'll grow. Uh, and I don't know that that would happen, but we've seen it enough to be able to look at and, and talk about it. And I think we, we just make the wisest decision possible. I mean I, I think it would be a combination of, of all three. I think you do what you have to in the short term in the way of multiple services. Try to – expand to accommodate that growth could six acres accommodate that growth according to lifeway probably not so i don't know what you do then um so on this property multiple services is probably the best bet until something else presents itself and then um and plant churches send 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 every, you know I, so am i saying all three whatever it takes i guess i am I'm good at long, awkward silences, too. <laughs> we can finish 15 minutes early. If yeah, that'd be great. All right. You want to close this in prayer? I would love to. And just thank you for everything you've done to make us feel very special in this process, feel very cared for. I really appreciate it. God, I am so thankful for this group of believers. I'm thankful for the love that is clear to me. I'm thankful for the kingdom-mindedness, mindedness, the desire to see your word go forward, and um, truly humbled that they would consider me to be a pastor to this church. God, I pray that you give them all wisdom. I pray that uh, if there are 
questions that they could be answered. I pray that there would be great discernment between uh, spirit-led questions and uh, confusion of the enemy, uh, because I'm sure both will come. I pray for wisdom on the part of this body. I thank you for them. Thank you for this time, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jim, is there one thing that we can pray for you? <clears throat> one thing to pray for me. Um, you know, I, I, I get really excited about the possibility of being here. Getting from there to here is overwhelming to me. <laughs> so just those details, uh, if, again, that would, if next week y'all decide you want me. Um, and then just the, the a, a good emotional capacity. There are a lot of goodbyes, and, and we would want to come in in a way where we can start a lot of new relationships. But we recognize, I mean, it's hard to do both at the same time so emotional capacity and then the kids i mean i I want them to have a great transition what i shamelessly use disney or whatever else i I can to aid in that transition but i i want them to really be excited and and i hope to spend a lot of time with the children during this transition if lord willing next week you decide that's what should happen thank you Did you get a chance to watch that video I sent you? Uh, no. Did you get something? Yeah.